everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You could look as awesome as I do. You look awesome. <laughs> with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous, salon-quality, multidimensional hair color made from ingredients you can feel really good about with no harsh odors. Hundreds of thousands of women have discovered this new way to color their hair, delivered to your door on your schedule for under $25. Find your perfect shade, just like I did, at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor crime writers and listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with the promo code CRIME. crime. Go to madison-reed.com and use promo code CRIME. crime. Introducing Patio Shield, Zone Mosquito <laughs> Repellent from Thermocell. If you enjoy being outdoors but hate mosquitoes. Like you. Who likes mosquitoes? Uh, no one hates them more than you do. Yeah, but you will love Patio Shield. Patio Shield creates a 15-foot mosquito protection zone. It's lightweight, portable, and it comes in three bold colors. Discover for yourself why Thermocell repellers are so highly rated and backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Thermocell Patio Shield. Turn it on. Mosquitoes gone. Use code CRIME to save 20% on Patio Shield at Thermocell.com. Use code CRIME. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll discuss the return of the Peabody Award-winning podcast, In the Dark. Madeline Barron and her team look at the case of Curtis Flowers, a man who's been tried six times for the same crime. Joining me to dive into that story and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and caliphate hater, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. So I'm an infidel is what you're saying. You're the infidel of the show and the internet has not forgiven you for your hate. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> all right. Will you try one more episode this week when it comes out? Absolutely. All right. If, if it will create peace and harmony in the world. Rukmini Kalamaki was on Seth I've, Meyers this week mm-hmm. and she was great. Was she crying because I said her show no, wasn't fantastic? It's, it's not. It's all not right. hurting her all at right. all. I think she's dealt with ISIS. She can deal with you. I hope so. She's got good <laughs> stuff. It's just like, get the fuck out of that hotel room and get moving. <laughs> Do some shit. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and our favorite certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yeah, there's lots of cat goings on in my house this week. There is? Always. Like what, Laura? 
um, oh, my cats are just being pains in the asses lately. Like they're just like, you know, jumping up on the counters, not following the rules, waking us up at three in the morning, you know, all sorts of fun stuff. They're having like cat room springa. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is springtime. It's the cat's yep. time. They've Same with the fever. Dogs. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. The dogs are taking them out for walks and they just want to like sniff at one spot for like an hour and you're like come on guys come on do your business and finally with us is the novelist behind the city trilogy and the baron of our book club toby ball hello toby hello rebecca well uh audience members we were just discussing before the show what we wanted to talk about next week and we made a decision uh toby has seen a preview on a screener of the new netflix series coming out this weekend it's called evil genius and he says it's worth watching. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Evil Genius on Netflix and we're probably going to talk about some other stuff too, but when it drops this weekend, give it a look-see if you want. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. I also uh, talked about it on uh, The Blotter Presents this week. Ooh. So you're like so. you're like basically cheating on us with another true crime podcast is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um. Yes. Not cool, Toby. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, not man. Cool. My bad. You know, yeah. you know, we're not so, like when you're Coca-Cola, you don't even mention that there's a Pepsi, <laughs> you know. You know, it's funny. I used to uh, when my son was in high school. One of the one of his teammates on the basketball team, his parents like were the CEO of Lint America. Yeah, Lint yeah. chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. yeah, and so she would get like a Nestle's Crunch Bar or something from the uh, from the snack shack. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, "Are you allowed to do that? <laughs> Can I take a picture?" And she was like. Pfft. I'm so sick of the lint balls. Yes. You know, everyone in New Hampshire is sick of the lint balls. We've talked about this on the show before. They are until you do what I did when I got to go on the secret tasting tour Mm -hmm. um, when they were taste testing new flavors of lint balls. Mm. And I actually got to go into the chocolate factory. I had to do like a whole non-disclosure thing. So I can't even tell you what I ate. I oh. went. I went to a was meeting. Was it chocolate? I went to a meeting in Portland, <laughs> yes. Oregon. Yeah, and somebody brought lint chocolate, and everybody was like, "Ooh!" And I was like, Ugh! "Not because it's not good, just because it's like everywhere here. Like yeah. it's, it's like if, when you go to your well, doctor's office, they'll have lint chocolate balls yeah. on the in the in a bowl, and like it's everywhere. Right, right. And just so people know, that we're talking about like the little round, yeah, the truffle, like truffles, right. and yes. the, with the, yeah. the creamier stuff in the middle. Well, they're also pretty kind of community oriented, and so we had somebody at work who was on the board for for Lint, and they go out, and they, a lot of times they just like you know, hey, have some chocolate, and yeah. there's chocolate everywhere. And uh, last week I went to do this so uh, public also fat television, in New Hampshire. yeah, this public television <laughs> auction, yeah, and they had donated huh. a lot of stuff, and it was goddamn like Santa's factory. There was like so much chocolate. Nobody was eating it. Yeah. One of them was like a blueberry fa- flavored thing. And I'm like, you are kidding uh, me, right? Yeah. No one wants blueberry Nobody chocolate. Nobody wants that. That's what I want in chocolate. Fruit. Can no. I say something about you on that auction? Because I oh have kind of God. a funny story about this. It was this. so funny. So I was like, okay, this is me. My hot Friday night. You know, I'm like, ooh, Kevin's on the New Hampshire Public TV auction. I better turn it on and tune in. So I'm watching and I'm like laughing and I make a little video right as I make a video of Kevin to kind of like, you know, hey, everybody, look at Kevin. <laughs> they have this like weather alert that comes through. Oh, yeah. I have to explain this. You know, it's this. like, yeah. reep, reep, with like, you know, severe storms are coming through. And I'm like, so it bleeps out Kevin. I think nothing of it. Meanwhile, I should also mention this is when I was having like a grown up weekend and I'm watching the New Hampshire public TV auction um, because my son was off camping with the Boy Scouts. Well, at like midnight, I get an email 
um, when that news alert for the weather came through, a microburst descended on the Boy Scouts at their camp out. And their little tents were flying everywhere in garbage cans. And he says, now it's, it's turned into like, we almost died to now he's like, I saw tents going through the air with yeah. people looking out. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, Maiden. Cow. But, same cow. Yeah. So anyway, if you see that nice clip of Kevin that I put up on our Facebook uh, discussion page, um, that's the story of what happened next in yeah. New Hampshire. Yeah. So uh, basically microburst. the thing was, and Laura <laughs> says this, so we're doing this live auction. We're all in the studio. Which I still don't understand. We have... Like all these items, you got to get these descriptions, yeah. right? Yep. And uh, so you're like in it. You've got like you got every round. You got like nine things to do. You're on like the fourth one, and you don't know this because you're in the studio. But over the broadcast, the computer kicks in for the emergency alert system, and it supersedes covers the, your broadcast covers the broadcast. It takes all the audio away. For this recording, the National Weather Service out of Gray, Maine, has issued a severe thunderstorm warning for. <laughs> Kuas County, <laughs> Merriman County, Hillsborough County, County. <laughs> and um, and you don't know this, right? And and you're just talking along, and it could just pop in at any time. So we're like, this was a real big annoyance, yeah, because you're trying to do a yeah. broadcast. Well, then the thunderstorms got to us, yeah, in a TV studio that's drawing an awful lot of power for yeah. lights and stuff, and the lights start to we're live on the air. And the lights start to flicker and go out. And you can't be cool about it because you have this whole phone bank of volunteers who start going, Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and you're just trying to like look cool. Right. Look cool. Look cool. While you're doing a live off. auction for a local public television station. Yes. Which, by the way, it's not to knock this funding model, but I don't get it because it's an auction on TV. For things, and it's, it's it's very local things. It's like somebody who makes figurines is auctioning a figurine. Yes. The items go by super fast, and I'm like, so wait, what happens? Like, you're supposed to call and bid, and then yeah. call back three hours later when your item yeah. comes up again. they like, write it on the little white erase board. I have no... But then it was, <laughs> it was on all weekend. Like, I turned on the TV again on Saturday, and I'm like, it's still on? <laughs> what? Is this a rerun? Listen, I work in public radio, and I do an awful lot of on-air fundraising pitching, so I'm not knocking it, but I don't understand the TV option because it's a lot of steps. First, you're yeah. willing to watch it. Then you're only willing to call. But I think you people, made it good, People though. have been watching that auction for 20 years waiting for something to yeah. happen, and it did. People were it, screaming. It they thought happen. they were going to die yeah. on public television. Plus, you were on it. <laughs> Plus, I was on it. I was, I was just yes. on it. And yes. Somebody thought you were on it with the, the somebody from The Sopranos, and I'm like, no, I don't think that's someone from The Sopranos. No, it was not. <laughs> who was that dude who you, was, who you were on it with? Jay Childs uh, is a local well, filmmaker. I, and a friend of Lars, uh, mm-hmm. he made a uh, documentary film called Food Fight, mm. which was about, about yeah about this crazy struggle at the supermarket chain. One of the market greatest basket. stories to come out of our region in the last five uh, years. Yeah, anyhow, yeah. we'll just leave it there. We'll leave it there. All right. Well, Kevin, um, as a step up from your local public television auctioneering, uh-huh. You're actually doing something kind of classy in about a month. Do you want to just like pitch that to our audience? Let them know what you're going to be up to. Yeah, Rebecca and I have been advising the folks putting on the very first yep. Toronto True Crime Film Festival. Yes. And What does advising mean? Well, they we helped them raise some money. Did we? Yeah, we donated a bunch of books. I don't remember so giving any advice, but I, these people are so you, lovely. Right, I have all the... Remember that stack of books I brought upstairs? Yes. You have to sign them. Okay. And then we're going to give them the people who donated money to get the film festival going. It's June uh, 8th to the 9th. Mm-hmm. It's a Friday and Saturday. It's in Toronto, of course. And I'm going to be on a panel, which is about, 
the armchair detective. Nice. And uh, they had one, and Rebecca, you, unfortunately, you can't do it because you have a uh, we have a fa- you have a family commitment. I here. do. And uh, there was a panel you would have called going for. to pick up my son in Washington D.C. and then sending him to Germany. That's yeah. my family commitment. Yeah, so I'm going to Washington, back to New New England, and then off to Toronto. And you're back. such a jet it's setter. It's gonna be a long weekend what for a me. Jet setter, Anyhow, you are. Just saying, hey, uh, folks, if you're uh, if you're in Toronto that weekend, uh, you should come in for a film or if a you're two. not filming an episode of Love It or List It, yeah. instead come see Kevin at the yeah. Toronto True Crime. Film Festival films include Abducted in Plain Sight, The Stranger, Hostages, My Name is Maisha, and a 15th anniversary screening of Monster. Yeah. Oh, the film for which Charlize Theron won an Academy Award. Yes, that one? that one. That yes. monster. So Kevin will be at the Toronto True Crime Film Festival, which is very classy. I'm very proud of you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> you're proud of me <laughs> because I'm the one who got to go? I'm proud of you because I don't have to take a trip, but you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Toby, I just want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the book club podcast we dropped this week for our Patreon fans. It officially has a name now, Toby. Um, the Toby Balls Deep Dive. It's called the Deep Dive. It's called the Balls, apostrophe Co- S, Deep Dive. He's not going for that. Book shit. Club Podcast. He he named it. It's the deep dive. Okay. The episode is now available for our Patreon supporters. You just want to like talk about it for a second and get people like interested in supporting us on Patreon so they can take a listen? Eh, not so much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what's, what's next? Um, no, it was good. We uh, So we talked about Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. And it was me and Sarah D. Bunting and Rebecca and Connie Walker who of uh, Missing and Murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, she she obviously had a, lo- a very interesting perspective on that, as did Sarah. Not me, though. Not me. Nothing I said. No, Rebecca. Actually, it, what's funny is like <laughs> I sent Rebecca an email afterwards. I was like, oh, my God, you're on fire. Because it's funny because on this show, as you may have noticed, Rebecca spent so much time like hurting the cats that she doesn't get to like go off as much as the rest of us do. And she does go off on this one. So if only for that, it's worthwhile oh. uh, checking it out on Patreon. I've had a couple of on fire going off on things moments on this show too, I think, in the last you few You have, weeks. but, <laughs> but I, I haven't had it in the back of my mind like, how do I stop this? It's true. That's true. It was, I think, that was awesome. I think a Gimlet's habitat unleashed the beasts <laughs> inside oh <my> of me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I think. I think uh, after Patrick, yeah, <laughs> was here, it got everybody a little riled up. It's I know. True. I feel like we have to live. Well, I have to live up to Patrick. Is it, those are big shoes to fill. It's yeah. about bringing your like larger than life game. That's right. That's right. I guess so. All right. Well, I, I don't want to change who we are as people. That wouldn't be right. Um, we did get some listener email this week that I just want to run by you guys. Oh, Kevin, you should say that thing we say when we have listener email. Listener email. Actually, usually you say like hate mail. None of it's hate mail, though. Oh, it's true. None of, well, there's one. All right. <laughs> Listener love and hate mail. There you go. All right. So this is from Stephanie, and we were joking last week when we were talking about the first couple episodes of Done Disappeared, the one before the magnificent third episode that dropped this week in which he just names all the victims of the Davistown goose ganker. Um, that about our confusion and, and joking about the word gank, like not being a real word, like we didn't know what it meant. Apparently, in lots of parts of the country, uh, and I also got this note from John David Butter himself, who clarified to me, like, it's a word. It means to steal, usually right out from so- under someone's nose. At least that's what it meant in Central Florida 
where I was growing up, Stephanie said. Uh, but I also heard from John David Booter himself, who said that same thing. The 13-year-old John David Booter used the word gank all the time when someone would steal something from you. Gotcha. So, that's what it means. Now we know. So it's like the Southern version of like boosting a car when you steal a car so exactly. you could gank yeah. a car. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Next they're going to have the pigeon pincher. <laughs> hey, pinch that pigeon. All right. So, um, and we also Her got loins. an email directed toward you, Laura. Are you ready? Oh boy, hold on. Let me let me get comfortable. Okay. This is in a comment that you made. Um, I'm trying to think of what the context was. It was about older people not listening, not to being podcasts. able to not being able to listen to podcasts. Yeah. No, I think it more had to do with like podcasts becoming TV shows, right, Kevin? And she said, like, older I don't people. Remember. I think that's what it was. I, I think it was, it was like, why either. are they adapting so many podcasts? I don't and think TV that's shows? the point of the email. Anyway, oh. and you made an offhanded remark where you said, well, you know, a lot of older people don't listen to podcasts, yada, yada, yada. Well, Cindy oh. wants you to know Laura, this 63 year old listens to podcasts every day. Sorry, you don't think we know what they are. I was working with computers before you were even born. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, how does Cindy Cindy, know how old you are? I'm just saying, Cindy, just totally get off my lawn, Laura Bricker. I feel sort of shamed. I'm going to have to go sit in the corner with like the dunce hat for a while (laughs) here. Listen, Cindy, Laura loves old people. She wasn't talking about you. And also, (laughs) you sound super old when you write an email. Like when you say something dot, dot, dot before you were even born. That's something an old person something would dot, say. Dot, no, I'm dot. defending well, Cindy. That's rude, Rebecca. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, you know, I think it depends on the person because we've had conversations. Like, I think even we've had conversations about like Kevin and Rebecca's parents when you guys have tried to set them up with that's the right. podcast. Yes. And they've been like, and I've had the same conversation with some of my family members who say, what's that blog you do? And I'm like, you mean the podcast? So I think it depends. I'm, I'm glad that Cindy's hip and, um, you know, that's great. I hope to be like that when I get to be 60. Of course, by then, um, who knows what we're going to be doing at that point. Cindy is hip as hell. She really is, obviously, since she (laughs) listens to our show. All right. Finally, an email from Monique, who says, Toby, I caught you on the Facebook Live pregame show last week. (laughs) (laughs) You looked very sexy in your shirt with the cutoff sleeves. When can we see more of that beefcake? I don't know how to answer this question. Okay. Are you feeling sexually harassed Um, by one of our listeners right now? That's right. No, I just came back from the beach. Next time I come back from the beach and have to do a Facebook Live, there's a good chance that I'll be wearing a sleeveless T-shirt, which is what I wear to the beach. Mm. Do you ever take it off when you're at the beach? Do Do I ever take it off? Yeah. Only very, very slowly. We need to insert some sexy music right here, I think, for the segment. Oh, my God. No, I think we're we're okay. Sexually harassing Toby. (laughs) That's right. That could be a nice segment. Toby's Me Too moment. uncomfortable in a room by himself. His last name is Ball. I'm sure he has heard inappropriate things thrown his way. Probably. My name is Tobias Ball, which when you slow it down is to buy his balls. Oh. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, there's that. I've heard it all. We're digressing tonight. And and thus is our first sponsor segue. Kevin, would you like to take it away? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, moving on uh, to a little bit more highbrow subject matter, shall we? Reporter Madeline Barron and the team from APM Reports is back with their sophomore season of the smash hit true crime podcast, In the Dark. This year, the American Public Media podcast looks at the case of Curtis Flowers, a Mississippi man who stood trial six times for the same set of murders. Curtis Giovanni Flowers murdered those four people. There's no doubt in my mind. 
and I think he needs to fry in hell where he's going. If he was executed, would you go watch? you damn right I'd go watch. I will stick the needle in him. The investigation looks at whether the evidence in the 1996 quadruple homicide holds up to further scrutiny and why a prosecutor would try a man half a dozen times while he sits on death row for 21 years. Now, we are going to be talking about major plot points from the first few episodes of In the Dark. So if you want to skip ahead to our spoiler-free review, just find out whether or not you should take a listen, you can find the time code for our thumbs up or thumbs down review in our show notes. One disclaimer As we mentioned last week, APM purchased an ad through our show's media buyer last week to promote In the Dark. The ad did not influence our decision to review In the Dark. We'd already decided to do that or our opinions about this podcast. Right, Kevin? Absolutely. Okay. Now, we first in the podcast meet the father of 16-year-old Bobo Stewart, who was one of the victims in this case. We have often heard criticism from our listeners and listeners of other shows that podcasts about convictions or potentially wrongful convictions give short shrift to the family of victims. Kevin, what do you think of the inclusion of Bobo's dad in the first episode of In the Dark? I think it's very good. I think it's an emotional interview. I think that Madeline shows a lot of uh, just enough restraint where, you know, she, um, you know, she lets him be emotional, but doesn't uh, let it linger too long to be exploitive. But, you know, you get a real sense of the guy's loss. You get a sense of his anger, Mm -hmm. which is something that doesn't get explored a lot. It's also hard to I think there's a balance between if you're going to set off with the thesis of this is an unjust conviction or that there's something wrong that this. Yeah, this might be the wrong guy. Somebody else did it. It's hard to put up the uh, the family member and have them make the declarations like this was the gun. And I know this guy did it when you're about to. do a lot of stuff, you know, that's going to try to refute that. Yeah. And it's hard to make it make the, you know, not make the person sound like a jerk or, an, or a fool. You're a fool for thinking that. Right. You know, um, she's just trying to show it. Yeah. But it, it's very easy to I, I mean, think about the interview with the um, the forensics guy, which we'll later. get to. Yeah. You know, it's like we set all this stuff up and this is what we know is the base. And we're going to let you say something that's going to make you sound stupid like an asshole. Or like an asshole, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and, <laughs> and it, it's hard to it's like hard to do that. It's it, I should say it's very easy to fall into that, you know, with a parent or you know a survivor, or a loved one of a victim, because I mean, essentially, the whole thing you're setting up is to is to poke holes in their deeply held belief. I think that was interesting about that interview with Bobo's dad. A few things that are interesting about it, but the main thing that stuck out to me is that. She sets up the podcast right at the beginning and says, in this town, if you're white, you think he did it. And if you're black, you think he didn't. That's that's how it is. Mm-hmm. She doesn't and she doesn't pull any punches around that. And I love it that she does that because she's not saying like, I have a feeling that if you're white, you may have. a." Di-. She just says, if you're white, you know, in this town, it's likely you think he did, he did it. And if you're black, he didn't. And that is actually borne out in her reporting on the show. The father is an interesting character because his son was the victim. So clearly we have sympathy for him immediately. You can't not. But then we hear him fall into what I come have come to think of as a prosecutorial trap, which we hear over and over and over again with these court cases and these potential wrongful convictions where it's like the evidence clearly shows he did it. When she's pointed out to us as listeners, like there isn't evidence. There's no physical evidence. There's no gun. There's no like anything. But you hear the passion with which this man wants to believe they have the right guy. He actually plotted a murder of him 
at one point. And it's interesting because instead of just setting up that thing where you're like, well, you know what? He's just wrong. She instead infuses it with some heart. Like you understand his motivations for being maybe wrong. I also, by the way, have a real problem just with the philosophy of the eye for the eye. I'm going to take revenge because the justice system didn't go my way. I think that's a really toxic, uh, particularly uh, sometimes American point of view around justice that is that makes me uncomfortable. Um, so that's the other thing that I thought was interesting about it, even though I felt empathy for the dad. Uh, Toby, what, what did you think of her inclusion of Bobo's dad? And what did you think of that section of the podcast? OK, I thought a bunch of things. One is the thing went his way. You know, this guy's been on death row for how many, however many years? Yeah. 21 years. Yeah. So he's like, his thought that I'm going to kill him was more on the off chance that he somehow gets out. Like one of these appeals actually gets him out of no, prison. No, his plan was to show up at the courthouse when he's like walking into court and murder him. That's what he told me. Right. But, the, but, but I mean, that's, that's the reason why. Like, it's not that he was let off and so I'm going to avenge my son. It's like the guy's been on death row for 20 years. So the whole like eye for an eye thing that kind of stuck with me too. Like you do feel like he clearly, this guy is in a lot of pain. He clearly believes that the right verdict was reached. And I think you get a sense, you hear what the prosecutorial case was, and you also get the sense that the defense did not do very much to, to undermine it. Right. Right. So that, so that it does seem like if, if what you got was a prosecutor's case without much pushback, it might seem convincing, especially if you're predisposed to think that the guy did it. Right. But then you have this eye for an eye thing, which is interesting both for him, but it also, I think, kind of gives insight into the general attitude, which is certainly what the prosecutor has, which is this guy may have, but in their minds, he did kill somebody. So we're going to kill him. Right. And that's seen as Bible sanctioned. Right. You know, I mean, they'd, they'd rather look at like this weird piece of Leviticus than all the stuff that, that, you know, Jesus said about turning the other cheek and, and all this stuff. Part of what was interesting about him was sort of showing the, the culture there. No, I agree with you. And I think the other thing that shows the culture there, which you sent me a note about, and I was going to make a note about it, except I didn't have to because you did, which was the description of the furniture store, which is murders took place as a good Christian business, a good Christian store. And I just think like that says so much about a community. And not that there's anything wrong, obviously, with being Christian or having faith. Clearly, we are not like saying there's anything wrong with that. But when you describe a business that sells furniture as a good Christian, like what does that mean? I mean, it's almost like it means more as like in, in retrospect because this crime was committed there and it's sort of fueling this desire to see some sort of like revenge justice done or vengeance done in a way. I mean, that's how it feels to me. I mean, and I think it does speak to a culture that it's not, I mean, there are, there are religious ties made in something that we very often in these cases, or we should look at what are the facts. And that kind of seems to infuse it a little bit, which is interesting to me. Um, Laura, I had a, a, an impression of you as I was listening to the first three episodes of In the Dark. <laughs> Hmm. Every time With like steam coming out of my yes, ears. Every time <laughs> basically every time anything would happen. Basically every time Madeline would say anything or talk to anyone. <laughs> all I could think was Laura must be losing her damn mind right now. Is that accurate? 
Uh, yes, let me set the scene for you. So I listened to the first episode, usually like in the morning, I drop my son at school a couple days a week, I'll go for a walk and I'll listen to a podcast. And so I turned this on and I started walking. And all of a sudden I realized like people are looking at me because I'm walking down the street and I'm going, oh, what the fuck? Oh, <laughs> and I'm like muttering and I'm like, oh my God, somebody. And then I'm like walking along down the street and I'm getting like more, I'm just getting so enraged. And then like I'm walking along still. I run into my minister, also Uh-oh. a big podcast listener. And uh, I'm like, oh, hey. And they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, this is podcast. And I just keep walking. <laughs> so, um, that's not very Christ like of, of you, Lara. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of how it went. Um, Ironically, right but, now, there's somebody on a treadmill who's making the same faces at you. listening to you or they're laughing and they just spit their coffee out. Yeah, no, I was just like, first, I'm like, okay, this guy, six times, what the hell? Right. Um, like, these witnesses, I'm like, they don't even sound like real witnesses for right. crying out loud. Right. Like, it's like, like the well, I was drunk when they came by. Like, they don't even, I'm like, is this like an episode of Done Disappeared? Did this really happen? Right. And, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And then the last episode, um, which I finished this morning I was like again I was muttering and to myself because it yeah so I was I was quite enraged by this whole this whole story I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear that my uh, guess was correct. Kevin, what do you think of the structure that Madeline has set out with? Obviously, we don't know where this is going to go, but the structure she has set out with is to basically take some aspect of the case, whole episode about that one aspect of the case. Do you think that works? Yeah, it does. She set out that there are basically three main pillars of the state's case and she's taking an episode to look at each of them and we've or we've heard two episodes on those three pillars you know i think it's certainly from a, a storytelling standpoint it's, it's good because it it brings the focus all into sort of one thing mm-hmm. instead of being you know in a lot of different places at once and because it's a complicated case um, I, I think that's good so that we're all focused on this particular aspect of the uh, of the prosecution. And you can dive right into it. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And there's a lot of reporting. I mean, uh, so I was on an episode of um, Addendum for Undisclosed last week with Madeline Barron. We talked about the podcast. It gave me an opportunity to ask her a couple questions that I really wanted to know before we talked about the show. One of the things that was interesting to me is the whole team from APM Reports who did this show moved to Mississippi for a year so they moved there. They lived there. They didn't fly in, you know, do some walking around and reporting and then leave to go back to Minnesota. They lived there, which is an incredible uh, expense of resources for a newsroom. And I thought that was really, really impressive and cool. And the second question I had uh, with regard to the case, and this might, you know, answer one of your questions, Laura, about how this same prosecutor can just six times just try and try and try. He's elected. And he keeps getting elected. So he can do whatever oh, he wants to so, do. So he's in an area where this is like tough, you know, seen as being tough yep. on crime. Yep. But like, honestly, how much has this cost the taxpayers? Right. I mean, this is ridiculous. Right. Ridiculous. Right. But you know what? Anyway. There's something about this case that keeps getting him reelected. So he's not disincentivized to continue pursuing it. You know, I mean, he's definitely like there's a reason why he's doing it. Um, Kevin, we have a classic. We I think of it as a classic. Yeah. 
Root Talk episode for episode two. It's not really Root Talk. It's more of a Root Walk. <laughs> There's no crab crib, so. Exactly. 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 So uh, what do you think about this device for episode two and the structure for it? Did it feel familiar? Did it feel passe? Did it feel fresh? What did you think? Well, you know, so, <laughs> I mean, um, uh, Serial definitely made it the, uh, you know, the, the thing to do a, uh, a Root Talk. A recreation. A recreation. Yeah, we have heard it in a couple of different podcasts. Yeah, but I think it's definitely appropriate here because the Root is is critical. I mean, in just about any crime, you know, you can yeah. talk about how did someone get from here to there, but but the fact it isn't it isn't just so much that they they walk to one place or something like that. It's because we've got all these different witnesses along the way. Right. And by the way, on their website, they've got a great interactive map of the route mm-hmm. and where the different people are and she interviews just about all of them. Right. You, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, a knowing nod to the audience. I th- I think it's a knowing nod anyway that we're going to go out and walk this route. And, oh, boy, this took a long time. Wow. Well, you know, it was a long walk. It, it was a long. Several miles. It was a long walk. Good on them for doing that walk. Yeah. I'm sure. How long many days do you think they were there before they said, hey, maybe we should walk this? Yeah. Take a tape recorder. Yeah. But it also it. showed, did it not also show the absurdity of the theory of the case? That he'd walk all the way to one side of town and then all the way back. And then all the way back again. Yeah. 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 I mean, you wouldn't do that much walking unless, of course, your car was in the shop. Yep. And, you know, why take the car to the shop to get repairs when you can call your mechanic? Oh, good idea. Oh. Nicely done. Very smooth. Yeah. Yourmechanic.com is the great way to get your car serviced while you're at home yep. or at the office because the mechanic, your mechanic, comes to you. Lara's mechanic. Yeah, better yet, at your mechanic. Lara's mechanic. <laughs> Selected by me. <laughs> your Personally. Me- <laughs> at yourmechanic.com, you get a quote up front, and this is this is the price that you will actually pay, and they'll even show you like what the same repair would cost someplace else. I was looking on their website. It's like, at your mechanic, it's like half the price of what these services cost you at a dealership. Really? That's great. Yeah, or, or, and, it's de- and it's less than like a typical garage as well. And they also back up all their services with a 12,000-mile, 12-month warranty. So if your car won't start, you got that check engine light bugging you, you maybe you need a brake job, call today and schedule an appointment. That way you don't have to take time off from work or, you know, give up your afternoon in order to bring your car down to some greasy garage. They'll come right to your own house or place of business, and they'll uh, do all that good stuff that you need done. Visit yourmechanic.com slash crime. And a mechanic will come to your home or office. For a limited time, you'll get $20 off your first service. You can go online to yourmechanic.com slash crime, or you can call now, 1-800-701-6230. Yourmechanic.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, hey, it's never too late to get the best night's sleep of your life. True. And you can get a better night's sleep with the best sheets. Yep. That's brooklinen.com. Oh, my The my best, friend. most comfortable sheeps. I mean, sheets, the best, most comfortable (laughs) sheets. No big markup. Uh, You can upgrade your nightly routine and you'll feel more well-rested every day. Now, I really think that one sheet of Brooklyn and sheets is not enough. No. At the minimum, you need no. two. You, you know why? Sets. Yes. Because, yes. you know, on you the dogs weekend. with well, muddy paws. You, you got to clean the sheets. You know, they're fantastic sheets, but eventually you got to wash them. You got to take right. them off that bed. That's right. 
and then the bed is just there, bed, and you what, bear, and what are you gonna do? Well, if you if you're the kind of person who actually finishes the laundry when you start it, oh, that's not a okay, problem. Okay, this is a whole other thing. But but like if you end up going from Brooklyn and sheets, and you put on like the department store sheets, not as good. You you know the difference. Right. You honestly do. And then when you get like another great set of Brooklyn and sheets, you put them on, and it just feels so fluffy and smooth. Yeah. And there's there's like one hidden bonus of the Brooklyn and sheets that I know they don't talk about in their ad that I just want to mention right now. Yeah. The set of sheets comes like in an adorable Brooklyn and tote bag. I know you were using yeah. that. I use that for my lunch like every day when I bring it to work and I get so many compliments on it. People <laughs> think it's like this fancy tote bag and I'm like it's legit the tote bag that my Brooklyn and Sheets came in and it's so cute. Brooklyn and Sheets were named the winner of the best online bedding category by should. Good Housekeeping. Go to mybrooklynsheets.com for an exclusive offer just for Crime Writers on listeners. You'll get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code CWO. CWO. That's a new code for us, new I believe. Code. Yeah, CWO at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident that they will offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CWO at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CWO. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets Ever. They really are. That's and what the I cutest said. tote bag to bring your lunch to work okay. in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Laura, I've got a question for you. Getting back to In the Dark. Yes. Uh, you are a former defense investigator. Yes. You have interviewed a lot of witnesses in your career. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, I have. What do you think of the reliability of the witnesses? <laughs> that testified at all six of Curtis Flowers' trials. These are, of course, the Root witnesses. The reason we got yeah. a Root Talk episode is because the key, one of the key pieces of evidence that got him convicted six times were these Root witnesses who allegedly saw him as he was walking to steal a gun and then commit the murders. Uh, one of them, for instance, Bojack Kennedy, thinks that ISIS was in Winona, <laughs> Mississippi, and that Russians are bugging uh. Madeline Barron's microphone. There's another who was drinking openly on a park bench when she went to talk mm-hmm. to him. Um, what do you think of these witnesses? What would you think as a defense investigator if you went to re-interview these witnesses when you knew they were going to be testifying at these trials? This was one of the parts, I think, where I lost my mind the most in the beginning of this podcast. Because, you know, listening to this, you're like, first of all, these people seem to have almost been coached into giving the statements that they gave. They Several of them didn't actually know the day that they supposedly saw Curtis Flowers walking by or, you know, in the area. Um, that date was given to them by the police when they were interviewed. It, it just seemed so slim the way that they tied it together that as I was listening, I first I was thinking, this is absolutely ridiculous. Why is the defense attorney not not poking holes in this? Why are they not trying to impeach these witnesses? You know, because it didn't sound like these people were even being elusive about the fact that they were shitty witnesses. Like she went out and they're like, yeah, I was drunk. I, I don't know what was going on. Like, right. like they, they weren't even hiding this fact. So like, or like, or like I, I wish not... I had never been a witness. I wish I had never gotten involved. What? Like, I'm like, it wasn't even like hard to like get this information out of them in terms of what bad witnesses they were. So first of all, I was like, did they not send an investigator from the defense team out to talk to these people after six freaking trials like what's going on here and if they did 
what is going on with the jury in this area where they, I, I'm assuming they tried to call these inconsistencies out that, that these people were seen as credible because listening to this, I, I was like, like I said, I don't even, they didn't even sound like real witnesses to me, some of them. I'm like, this this doesn't even seem real. This is Laura, so ridiculous. If this goes to trial for a seventh time, can't the defense use these recorded interviews to impeach those witnesses? Yes. You're trying to find st- different statements that people have given about a specific incident. So something that I used to do a lot, and it seemed like I was always in domestic violence cases or assault cases. People would have like public social media posts about what happened in cases and you would go take a screenshot of it or to memorialize it. Um, you know, people would make different statements to different people and some of that was hearsay and you couldn't admit it. But if there, there's, you know, anytime that somebody is recorded that's a witness like that, which I think we talked about with Jay giving different statements when he was interviewed. That's something that you want to keep a record of. Yeah, definitely. I mean, good God. I mean, I was just, I mean, was anybody else? I mean, I felt like I was like, oh my God, this, this, I can't, but it's so well done. I keep listening because it's such a fantastic podcast, but I was just so angry. <laughs> well, I guess I should scratch this question then that Kevin, you suggested I ask Laura, which yeah. is, um, I'm just going to read it, but she doesn't, she's not required to answer. Laura, Madeline makes the case that the cops found random people to say they were witnesses. Is it possible that's just good police work? Kevin, were you trying to make me interrupt? <laughs> I'm like that one on the on the volleyball team that just sets it up for you to spike. I yeah, wanted to hear yeah. your head explode. Now, Toby, oh my God. Toby, one of the things that I love about the style of this team's writing and reporting of these stories is that they are measured but they are very thorough and they give you details for scene setting and details for when you meet people that provide context without then telling you, this is why I just told you that. And I think a really good example of that is when Madeline goes to talk to Curtis's parents. She goes to the Flowers home. She first describes the lot next door, which was the site of a school that had burned down and she says, as an aside comment, you know, people in town, both white and black, think that the school was burned down when integration was uh, brought to the school. And then she moves on and interviews Curtis's parents. And she doesn't take that beat to say, see, kids, I told you it was racist here. <laughs> like, she doesn't do that. Do you find that as just like pleasant and measured and thorough and wonderful as I find it, that kind of storytelling? Yeah, well, it's more like what you do, like when you're writing a novel, right? I mean, is that that's we don't that's know, Toby. You're the novelist. Tell us. <laughs> uh, yes, it's part of it. <laughs> and but it, it's it's like relaying information without getting into exposition, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, it's like finding other ways of of getting that across. So like that's a perfect example. It's sort of artfully done, and it's I guess it's somewhat convenient. But in that, before you talk to the parents, you give another reminder of sort of what's going on racially in this town. And I, I think before that, you you find out that one of the appeals that succeeded was because the uh, prosecutor was keeping uh, African-Americans off the jury. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of get these little teases along the way. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, the the, the writing on this is, is, is really, really good. Yeah. 
It is really strong. And Kevin, I'm going to ask you a favor right now. This is an aside. Mm-hmm. There is an amazing episode of the uh, spinoff of Radio Lab. Oh, I was called just More thinking Perfect. about it. I was said I, I was going to look that up on my phone about while composition Toby was of juries. Can you please link to that in our show notes? Yeah. Because if our audience is is interested at all in jury selection and the illegality, the the misconduct involved in striking jury members because of race specifically. That episode of More Perfect is a mm. must listen. It's a must listen. Would you not say? Yeah, absolutely. Would I you not? Love- Do you not? <laughs> we actually got an email this week from somebody in, I think it was Australia, who yeah. said, you got to listen to More Perfect. It's great. And we're like, no shit, yeah. down under people. <laughs> <laughs> That's our constitution you're talking about. Now, uh, Kevin, so the first two episodes, obviously, first we get the crime, very thorough description of the crime. Mm-hmm. Episode two, we get the root, the witnesses, Curtis's parents. Episode three. This is where I want to center the discussion right now, because this is the one I really enjoyed the first two episodes. And I thought, OK, now we're going to talk about a gun. This will be cool. Oh, my God. So much happened in this episode. But first, I, I want to I want to just ask a two part question. Prosecutorial investigator that dude Johnson. Yeah. Is it John Johnson? Something like that. What do you think of that okay. guy? Uh. <laughs> Wait, on the, on the shady scale. Uh, one well, being white. 10 being Oompa Loompa Orange, where do you put Johnson on the shady scale? <laughs> From what we know, based on the reporting the that reporting we've Reporting what heard. we know, I'm saying that it's right now like a three, four, and we'll see where it really? goes. Yeah, I'm not going to impugn somebody. Right. Jesus fucking Christ, Rebecca. <laughs> oh, I don't know the guy. I was about to sing a little Slim Shady song. Here, <laughs> well, I I'm mean- just saying. I mean, there was the point made that, like, uh, the thing that the prosecutor should have known about how he misrepresented Curtis's incident where he shot a, a kid in high school. Yep. That Johnson should have known that that isn't how it went down because he was the police chief who investigated that yes. accidental shooting. And he testified at trial. He testified at trial. Differently. Yeah. But you also hear him sort of use that really aggressive technique with uh, Doyle. Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, which I thought was really kind of interesting. I mean, I think we're jumping ahead Explain to- Explain who Doyle is for a second. Okay, Doyle is actually Curtis's mother's stepbrother. So yes. it's like his step-uncle. Yes, distant relative. Distant relative. Who he sort of knows. And that we know that a handgun was stolen from his glove compartment uh, from his car Allegedly. the morning of the shooting. He says a handgun he was stolen. He says a handgun was yeah. stolen. And that apparently he was a suspect mm-hmm. for a very long, not a long time, but, a, but several months. weeks. Yeah. Yeah, several, yeah, for a long time. And um, the cops were going back and forth between Curtis and uh, Doyle, and maybe it was Curtis and Doyle. Where Johnson comes, is, comes in is that Doyle had been pretty cooperative, it seems, for some time. Uh, you know, he told them about his gun. He He let them... You know, retrieve some projectiles from uh, you know, his backyard where he'd been apparently doing some target shooting. And when we get to this one interview uh, that we hear about Johnson quizzing Doyle, Johnson is also coming down pretty hard on Doyle, just like we we've heard about him doing with Curtis. I think that's kind of like probably who he is. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that when Doyle was told that, yeah, this gun is the murder weapon. Your gun, your missing gun, is the murder weapon. Which Madeline tells us she doesn't think that they could have known yet because the report probably hadn't come not. Yeah, yeah, the report the report wasn't written. That sometimes the reports aren't written to long after. And sometimes, sometimes somebody will call and say, "Yes, it's it." But I it is. I have done the paperwork, right? Yeah, but we can maybe. And it doesn't assume ma- we didn't in know. a way it doesn't matter because right. he can fib that in a, in an interrogation. I thought it was interesting though is that the whole time you know Doyle was like, "Oh, I, my gun's gone." Oh, like, yeah, you want to go find bullets? Obviously, he's 
helping them sort of like, you know, put these two things together. And when they tell him, yeah, the gun was, the gun is, was, we've matched it. It's the murder weapon. He's like, wait, what? Like he, all the time, he seemed to believe like it wasn't, it was not going to be that. Right. I found that really odd as as if he knew that like it was, it was a different, he knew it was a different weapon and it couldn't have been his gun. What I thought was more odd was his proactive um, running into work and telling everyone the gun had been stolen from his car. It did feel a little. He did it it, where he picked up lunch. Yeah, I don't know. That was a little strange for me. Um, but let's talk more about this uh, gun uh, episode. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the snakes too? Oh, yes. Oh, that's a great side. But story. one of the details that I found really interesting was that Johnson, our favorite uh, prosecutorial investigator slash former police chief. For gathering evidence in the ballistic tests, which later in the episode we get some of the science, pseudoscience behind it, we hear that all the bullets were gathered from the crime scene and then they, you know, jammed some bullets out of a post in Doyle's mom's backyard with a knife to compare. And then we hear that there were, you know, no matches or whatever. So we needed, so he came, went back to the crime scene, the furniture store, a couple months after the murders had been committed was in the store for less than five minutes and retrieved a clean bullet from a mattress in the back of the store that was then used to compare to the bullets found at the crime scene. Laura, what did you think of this uh, amazing discovery of the magic mattress bullet? Um, shades of making a murderer. <laughs> it just happened to materialize behind the dresser and we never knew it was there before. Right. Or, you know, I was like, this is so, how is this even admissible? And it, I mean, this whole thing was just so ridiculous. After the fact, I mean, the crime scene has already been cleared. It's already been examined. And then this mysterious bullet just is found in a mattress. Yep. Between that and and then listening to the story about the tree in the backyard that people were target shooting on. So everybody and their brother was down there target shooting. But they the, the bullet that they did happen to, you know, wedge out of the tree, they think that for sure is the bullet. Mm. And I mean, we don't even know where the gun is. I'm, I'm just it, the whole thing is is ridiculous, right? Um, but the the mattress in the the store, I'm just like, is this? Uh, there's so many times listening to this, I'm like, this. How is this happening? Right. <laughs> Kevin, thoughts? You're looking at something on your phone right now. What are you oh, looking at? Well, I, I got a photo of the uh, the bullet, uh, the, the bullet in the mattress, the magic yeah. bullet discovery. Yeah, I mean, they had to cut open the mattress to get the bullet. Did so. they? So just how, asking. How oh, did, I, well, that's ridiculous. I, no, I I'm not saying. This guy definitely fabricated evidence in this trial. I'm saying Madeline's reporting has led me to ask these questions. Okay, sure. It isn't like four people got shot and there were no bullets recovered. Right. Okay, I think that there were those bullets, they were saying that the projectiles were damaged. The, the, the importance of the bullet in the mattress is that it was in a pristine state or a near pristine state. Right. They say it was a pristine bullet. It was it, it was as good a sample that they could get to compare to something else. Okay, so we're obviously not all on the same page about the magic bullet found inside the mattress. I, I think, yeah, whatever. However, there's another aspect of the episode that I imagine we're going to find more consensus on. Toby, forensic science around ballistics. Uh, Madeline actually talks to two people. She talks to somebody who runs a you know ballistics lab at a police department who just describes... How it works, which is basically you look at two bullets and you make a decision in your mind using no standards of any kind. Oh, yeah, these two look alike. They have they, they came from the same gun. And then we hear her talk. No, not to, no standards of any kind. That's an exaggeration. Um, no, not. She literally no says standards that. of any kind. She literally no, says that. No, she doesn't literally say that. What Andy Smith told me is that there's actually no set of criteria 
for what constitutes a match. It's not like you're required to have the same number of lines or the same distance between them. You just have to find what firearms examiners call sufficient agreement between two bullets. And what sufficient agreement means is for the individual examiner to decide. I'm sorry, guys. Did I? Did, am I wrong? Did you literally say There are say no that... standards of any kind? Toby, what did you hear in the episode about the standards around ballistic testing? I don't want to take sides in this. <laughs> no. You can take um, sides. Mom and dad are fighting. The woman said there's no way that you can tell conclusively. Right. Yeah. Right. So there, there, there's three different takes on it. And there's like the woman who actually knows what she's talking about who says this is one of the problems that there is no good definition of what it means to uh, find sufficient agreement. So what's sufficient agreement for you may not be sufficient agreement for me. And so uh, you have this very undesirable situation where two examiners looking at the exact same samples might reach different conclusions. And then there's a guy, Baelish, who actually does the testifying, who says... When you're looking at these, you have to get to the point as a firearms examiner, convince yourself that there's no other gun on the face of the earth could have left these marks. And that's what I do. How do you do that? Well, you have to do mental gymnastics, I suspect. And when you, you know, when you look at it long enough and you see how the uh, the markings are, they have to be in the same place at the same spot, but you understand why that why that takes place, but that's how you come to the opinion. It's you do mental gymnastics and then it's always <laughs> been an opinion and we're trying to be a science. You know, when they say, well, the current science is that this is really you, you really can't do it. And he's like, well, that just sounds like people are trying to be politically correct. Right. And she's like, what? They kind of hit the trifecta for like bad convictions which is like, you know, a mostly white jury with a black defendant, questionable forensics and um, terrible witnesses. But then you also, you know, and I, and I think what they haven't talked about, and I assume they will at some point, is that, you know, the defense lawyer like this, you know, what she's doing. I mean, she's doing great reporting and stuff. But my God, if you, if you spend any time as a defense lawyer, you should be able to impeach these witnesses. Like, right. even if you don't have the time to do the forensics, times or knowledge to do the forensics, mm -hmm. like the witnesses should be pretty easy to go after her. I mean, they're not, they're not like trying to maintain anything when, the, when, when she goes and talks to them, they're right. just like, Oh yeah, well, I don't know. It could have been that day. It could have been another day. He, he knew what day it was. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to be able to explain my answer. Uh, about what I said a second ago. I, I am on board with the idea that you can't say, oh, to the exclusion of every other gun in the universe right. that came from the... And I think that, you're right, the, the perception has moved that way. Not the perception, but the um, academic standard has come to accept the idea that you can start narrowing stuff down and it's a good approximation, but it isn't one of these things, a CSI thing where you're, it's like, one in a billion. Right. And that Baelish is sort of out there saying, no, 100 percent. I've done this for 30 years. I, I, I took exception to the way you said that there's no standard as if I'm holding up two bullets to the light and I'm going to just decide which one. They, they, they are using some They're using standards their that opinions. They, no, he no, said she they, asked it him. It results in opinions. Right. 
So it's let analysis. Let it's analysis. You, let me tell you yeah, what she said. It ends up being human analysis. Like, same thing with fingerprints. Here's what I heard. Right? There okay. are certain factors, certain things, measurements that they're taking and whatnot. But to take all of that and then to later say, it's, it's absolutely this one thing you can't do. Here's what I heard. Uh-huh. She asked him, can you take measurements between these lines, between these scratches and the bullet? This is the guy from the West Coast, not the bad guy Baelish, not the super sciencey lady. This was the guy whose current job it is to run a ballistics lab. She said. So do you actually measure like the width of the lines? We do not. Using a comparison microscope, we're not physically measuring the width of those lines. So it's, a, it's an optical uh, comparison. I mean, we're just doing it visually. No, I just use my eyes. I'm not defending yeah. the guy, and I'm not and I'm not defending the forensic evidence. Right. Just you were a little flip, and so I'm trying to, like, I don't know, I got dragged into that, so I felt like <laughs> I got to step out of it somehow. It's okay. No, it's okay. This is, like, this is what this show is about. Like, we, I think it's important to talk about the things you hear when you mm-hmm. listen to these yeah. journalistic podcasts, because what I took away from it, it's a little different than what, it's, it's fine. That's, like, kind of what this is about. It gets us talking. The whole premise of our podcast is to talk about what we heard, so... I think it's fine. Um, now, Laura, a question for you about this ballistics yes. thing. Uh, we, we do get to the Baelish guy. Um, he doesn't just say it's mental gymnastics. He says it's mental gymnastics to convince yourself to be a sh- 100% sure. Like he bends over backwards almost like to tell Madeline that he's making it up but that he's convinced himself that what he made up is 100% true. Is that what you heard? I heard that, but I didn't. That's not quite how I interpreted it. So he said that, the whole mental gymnastics thing, but then the the like fierceness of the way that he defended his conclusion made me feel like he was very arrogant about his abilities. I mean, he was just like absolutely 100%. There is no question. And and she brought up, and when she brought up, well, have you read this particular study? And he's like, I may have skimmed it. Like I, I took from him that he was extremely, he was pretty cocky about his abilities and he really didn't care about any of the new science or any of the new research that was coming in because he has a lot of good paying gigs going out doing these uh, <laughs> expert witness testifying uh, gigs. You know, so I did hear what you, but I heard it in a different way. Like, yes, he said the mental gymnastics part, but then the manner in which he communicated his findings mm. made me feel like, I mean, he really was pretty confident in himself. He I don't the- think he anticipated the reporter was going to come in and challenge him on the idea that the practice that he's been in for 30 years But is she was flawed. very open. She just get, she asked yeah. him open-ended questions, getting him to yeah. say more, which is the, like the hallmark of a good reporter. She wasn't saying like, well, here's a thing that shows you're wrong. She was just saying, why do you think that? What if you saw facts to the contrary? Mm-hmm. But he couldn't he couldn't move like he was the king of the mansplainers when it came to this bullet stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think there was a sort yeah. of like, don't worry your pretty little head about yeah. that. <laughs> I got that, too, Toby. <laughs> I was picking up that uh, on that, too. Um, now, Kevin, question for you. Um, Madeline declares that much of the evidence is shaky enough that you can't have confidence in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does this mean that there's not enough there to disprove the state's case? I mean, do you think we're going to hear some exculpatory stuff in this podcast? Well, I mean, I think it has been somewhat exculpatory. I would say, you know, certainly the things that I've heard have, you know, sort of raised doubt in my mind. I mean, I think because there's so much gray in it that, you know, if we think that the whole thing is we're, we're supposed to be finding white 
and we see gray, that it must actually be white. And, you know, I think that in order to have a clear mind and not have a preconceived idea, you also have the idea, well, no, actually it could be black. Yeah. But we're not there yet. So I don't think we can, you know, make that decision. Yeah. And I think she's also got, she's also been very smart to not say, this proves, you know, oh, or based not. on this. Because she's know, a good reporter. Possibly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's not what a responsible reporter would do. Right. But we have heard that. That's what an armchair reporter would do. <laughs> uh, Laura, you're a reporter, too. Uh, just you want to clarify, um, does Madeline have more wiggle room or less to talk about Doyle as a potential suspect in the case, given that he has passed away? That's a tricky area because, yes, he he is dead, and it's not like he's going to come back and challenge anything that she's saying, but I think you still have to be responsible, and I think she has been responsible in the way that she's reported it, so she's certainly not sensationalizing it or anything like that. That's that's a tough one because we, we've had cases that we've talked about before where there's been somebody that's, you know, died and and some of the rules apply and some of them don't you i think you still have to be careful accused season one is a good example of that amber like talks about the main three alternative suspects in the case and one of them has passed away uh-huh. and i remember listening to that podcast thinking like you you should tell us everything about that guy amber because he's not alive like <laughs> you can't <laughs> Me- do anything meaning, about meaning it when you die you have no expect legal expectation of right, privacy right. and you can't you can't we always say you can't libel a dead man so right. if she wants to go out and say yeah he actually did it she could she, well, she mean, wouldn't but if she, but if she had like strong suspicion, or she, if she had reason to believe that that's who the alternative, because we don't always get an alternative suspect right. in these podcasts, and here we have one, and I don't know how much more this is going to play out, but but if you know there's she digs up evidence that strongly points to somebody else in some podcast, if he's alive, you you run the risk of libeling him and getting sued. In this, that barrier is not there, right. so you can just go with is this. You know, something that serves journalism or not. Right. And as we know, the core tenet of the reporting from this team is be nice, be a nice person, do good, do reporting, but also be a nice person. We saw that presentation they made at Podcast Movement. That was the heart of it was... They played that piece of tape from uh, In the Dark Season 1 with a neighbor who was a suspect. They just played it as it aired in the podcast. And then they played it with some ominous music underneath it to show us what it could have sounded like if they weren't nice people. And we know that that is what is at the heart of this team. So with that being said, I think it's time for us to go around the horn. We are three episodes in to In the Dark Season 2. I think it's time for us to give our thumbs up, thumbs down review of this podcast. Should our audience check it out if they haven't already? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, this this podcast is just so well done. You know, we listen to so many podcasts and um, everything about this is done well from the reporting to the writing to finding all these great witnesses. And so we hear all sorts of different voices. And the case is a case that's just absolutely maddening and infuriating. And it's a case that um, needs to be examined. All right. So thumbs up from Laura. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for In the Dark Season 2? Yeah, strong thumbs up. I, you know, I was... As I was uh, cooking steak tips on the grill today and thinking about this, you know, if I had a story that I wanted some podcaster to tell and I had my choice, I think Madeline Barron would like, if not the person, would certainly be in the top one or two. Totally. So, um, yeah, like strong thumbs up. We're on a good run right now, I think, of, of some really 
quality podcasts that are that are a big step above. Yeah, I agree. This podcast is uh, just a couple of points away from being perfect um, in terms of what it is trying to deliver. The reporting and the investigation itself is really compelling. And if people are interested uh, in our audience and they want to know why we really, really have a problem with podcasts that aren't journalism, acting like journalism and real journalism, this podcast is an illustration of what real journalism looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. There's a team of reporters on the ground. There's research going on here, tons of interviews, data being looked at, um, history being looked at of a community backstory we're getting i mean if you look at even just the doyle story there was a really unbelievable holy shit side story about doyle and a traumatic experience he had that they sent somebody to the swamp they sent somebody there to report it and they did it so efficiently that was like five minutes of the podcast Mm -hmm. maybe maybe even maybe less than that they told this whole side story just like doing so much character development such a short period of time uh, for the most part, it's it's perfectly written, uh, beautifully mixed, with very few exceptions, and I just love it. Huge thumbs up for me for In the Dark Season 2. Kevin, what about you? I'm a thumbs up. I think this is a, a really great podcast. You're right, Rebecca. It, it builds itself as an investigative podcast, and that's what it is. And that does set it apart, where other ones try to be... You know, kind of go in with a wink and maybe we'll solve something. This is their stated goal. And whether or not they solve the case doesn't quite matter. It's going to show us the things that uh, they turn up from, from from looks like some solid reporting so far. So I'm I, I think no sophomore slump here in the dark doing uh, doing really great. I think it's just as good or better than season one. And that's a high bar. It's a very high bar. I just you know, I'm really upset because I just realized now that. Brooklyn and Sheets would have been a great one to come out of in the dark. Oh, yeah, it really would have. It really would have. But I blew it. What are you going to say instead? Well, who doesn't like something to eat like Daily Harvest? <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> I bet oh. Madeline Barron, uh, that, you know that long walk she took in the Root episode? You know, she must have been parched. She must have been parched. You know what? You know what would have sustained her? A daily harvest smoothie in a cup. That's right. Frozen organic fruits and vegetables, and delivered right to Madeline there in <laughs> in Winona, Mississippi. Yep. Each cup stays fresh in your freezer and can be prepared in just one step. All you do is add water or your favorite milk to the cup, and you blend it. Then, then you have an amazing meal or snack filled with delicious whole ingredients in just thirty seconds. Now. They have some great smoothies. Laura, tell me about some of the smoothies you've been desiring. Um, Well, now it's getting a little warmer out, so they have some really refreshing smoothies for summer. Um, They have one that's got watermelon, and I think it's got some sort of a mint in it, which is is very light, very refreshing. It feels very healthy. Uh, It's it's definitely something when it's hot out that, you know, is is a nice thing to make in the afternoon um, when you want to have a little treat. That's right, and I think that what you were, uh, the other flavor there in that watermelon one was like it was cucumber water cucumber yeah i love that one it's so refreshing yeah uh and daily harvest has great smoothies but they also have other wonderful products like soups and they have a new thing lattes lattes you can have for that hot or cold they've got three great new flavors with the same blend of superfoods that make it just wonderful to have go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code crime Crime. to get three free items in your first box that's promo code crime Crime. for three free daily harvest cups at daily-harvest.com daily-harvest.com promo code crime what else you got kevin 
Well, you know, as, as nice as um, Winona, Mississippi sounds. Yep. Does I, it? <laughs> we just alienated all one of our listeners who lives there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Madeline lived there for some time. Look, I I think you always just kind of want to get away. You do. Get out of town you for do. a little bit. I know I do. And uh, what better way to plan your vacation than to use tripping.com? Tell me more. Don't visit a ton of different websites to find that vacation home that you want. You go to tripping.com. It's one search. That's the one site where it'll search. It'll let you compare every home from the world's top vacation rental sites all in one place, and you can find the perfect deal. So you'll see from all those you know, brand name websites that are, are setting up these vacation rentals, these home rentals, Tripping will look at them all, aggregate uh, their different uh, prices, and tell you what the best deals are. So you can do a lot more when you rent a when you do a vacation rental, because instead of like being in a hotel, you know, it's more space. It's a house or a cottage mm-hmm. or something beautiful like that. It's you know more space for everyone under one roof. You know, something that's how we always vacation. Oh yeah. Now look, I just mentioned that I'm going up to Toronto yep. for this film festival. I'm only there for one night, but I use Tripping, mm-hmm. I, and I, I I went to uh, Tripping.com/crime, crime, and I was able to find myself in a nice apartment for just one night. Nice. And if I wanted to stay a week, I could do that as well. Super affordable prices, and you know, great selection of all the stuff. Best of all. At Tripping.com, you can join the millions of travelers who find more savings with rates up to 80% less than traditional hotel rooms. So this year, save time and money when you book your vacation home of your dreams with Tripping.com. Go to Tripping.com slash crime. Crime. That's Tripping, T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash crime. Crime. Find your perfect vacation rental at Tripping.com slash crime. Crime. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little thing I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. week. When she hadn't heard from her husband, the wife of Christophe Chamley became worried for his safety. The 70-year-old had gone hiking in New Hampshire's presidential mountain range, and he was unaccounted for overnight. The next day, two dozen fish and game rescuers and a National Guard helicopter scoured Mount Adams and Mount Jefferson to find him. And as we know here in New Hampshire, that is a very big deal. His wife was relieved to know he wasn't on the mountain. Instead, he'd thought better of the hike turned around and checked in at the luxurious Mount Washington Hotel for the night. (laughs) Instead of a lean-to, he'd slept on a four-poster bed with a view of the championship golf course. He said he had sent a text to his wife, but we know the reception in the mountains is pretty spotty. Fish and game officials were not happy about the miscommunication. A state law allows them to bill the cost of a rescue operation to any hikers whose reckless actions get them in trouble. They haven't made a decision yet on whether or not to make this guy pay, but it could total in the thousands of dollars. So here's my question for you, panel. What were the many dangers this hiker faced while staying at the luxury Mount Washington Hotel? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Well, I can't think of the Mount Washington Hotel in dangers without thinking of the infamous cave nightclub. Mm. Um, (laughs) Word. Which... Uh, scene of, I think we had a big scandal back, I don't know, now I'm dating myself, probably 10 plus years ago here in New Hampshire, we had our acting attorney general resign yep. over an incident in the cave nightclub. One of 
our judges. Over a conga line. Up, over a conga line yes. gone wrong. Yep. So I, I don't New know. York, your attorney general's a bad boy. <laughs> Ours had to resign because of a conga line. That's right. The cave. I mean, the cave. So who, know, who knows? I think he could have met more danger at the hotel. Plus, isn't it haunted? Wasn't it in The Shining? I mean, I mean, there's so many no, things No, it wasn't. That, that was place. the Overlook Hotel. But the Mount okay. Washington Hotel, when you're one it of those long-ass exactly hallways. It looks exactly like The Shining. Looks a whole yeah. lot like it. Toby Ball, what dangers do you think this hiker could have faced while staying at the luxury Mount Washington Hotel and Resort? A uh, hot stone avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very good. That's very good. I have to say, I uh, believe that some of the dangers that that hiker could have faced would be drowning in a super luxurious and giant soft towel. Was that something that mm, they have? Yeah. Or perhaps smothering himself in one of those big robes they have at the luxurious Mount Washington Hotel. Ooh. What about you, Kevin? What dangers do you think he faced while he was there? Well, I think if he, he's able to get away from those twin girls and the kid on the big wheel, <laughs> he could possibly drown in the tidal wave of blood coming off of the <laughs> elevator. It's true. If or... I- if he made the mistake of leaving pepperoni on the windowsill and all those seagulls come in, that's true. That could be a pretty bad thing too. Kevin, can you please link to the Mount Washington Hotel in our show notes, so our listeners can see how much it looks like the Overlook Hotel from The Shining? You mean the Omni Mount Washington Resort? Yes, you bet. You and spa. And spa. Remember the spa day we had there? <laughs> I do. Co-ed spa. I do. I do. All right, Laura Breaker. Before we wrap up the show, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> No, no cat of the week, even though I'm currently like all my animals are staring at me. They've all busted in. I'm going to be like murdered possibly in like a few minutes. But um, no, we're going to have a dog of the week this week. And it's another New Hampshire story. We're going to go with um, one of our listeners, Amy Cavino. Her <gasps> dog. You mean WMUR oh TV reporter Amy no. Cavino? Uh, yes. Amy Cavino brought her dog Bella to work this weekend. And while Josh Judge was doing the weather, Bella just kind of wandered through and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, dog. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. He handled been it a very lot well. Of, yeah. Yes. Doesn't a lot she of have like a huge this. dog? It's a big dog. Is she yeah. like a Bernie's big. Mound dog or like a St. Yeah. Bernard or something like that? It was like white and black. I don't know. It was a big dog. Yeah. I don't know how management thought about it, but if it was the guy who was there when I was there, the loss <laughs> is freaking mine. <laughs> Oh, we love Amy Cavino. Amy Cavino is one of our favorite fans, only because we are also fans of hers. She's a yes. reporter on our local TV news station, WMUR, where Kevin used to work, and uh, we just love her. Yeah, so, she's Amy, super. shout out to you. And uh, thank you for tolerating us and all the jokes we make about TV reporters on the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, that probably wraps it up for this week. Laura Bricker, if people want to reach out to you and pitch you their animals to be your cat of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, people want to reach out to you and ask you to once again expose your amazing biceps for the world to see. How can they find you online? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, people want to tweet to you and remind you that there are, in fact, no actual standards for ballistics testing. How can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, I instant message me directly. <laughs> At Kevin P. Flynn. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> no, but for real, you're at, at Kevin P. Flynn. But you can also join us on the official uh, Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group, right, Kevin? That's right. I'll be there waiting for all of your your. No, comments. no, no. We are all there all the time. I, I, we are there talking all the time. Talking to you, our audience. So, you know, if you're a fan, fan of ours on Facebook, join our Facebook discussion group. It's a whole lot of fun. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers on and join the folks on the official Facebook group. They're pretty awesome. You can Join su- us, Amy Cavino. You can support us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and hear Toby's exclusive 
book club podcast. It gets real, real deep. For other exclusive ad-free content, subscribe at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. Go to our website, crimewriterson.com, to sign up for our newsletter. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we have hung all of our Peabody Awards. That Just we kidding. Have not won. We have not won any of those. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Kevin needs to be boning up on um uh boning on what's the book? In cold blood. In cold blood. In cold blood. You, you know that you're supposed to do that, right? Yeah, I know that. Just checking. Okay, great. Yeah. Is Laura ever gonna get to be in one of these book clubs? I'm yeah, on she's, the list. she's already scheduled. Okay, good. This one's for the ladies. Toby and the ladies. <laughs> Toby and the ladies. Oh, my God. It's ladies' <laughs> night at the deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good night. Partners in Crime Media. Support for today's show comes from YourMechanic.com. Your Mechanic sends the mechanic right to your home or office. Better yet, you get a quote up front, and it's the actual price you pay. Car won't start? Check engine light bugging you? Call 800-701-6230 today to schedule an appointment or visit YourMechanic.com slash crime. For a limited time, you'll get $20 off your first service. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.